I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Our scripture lesson for the morning is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, second chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This, brothers and sisters, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. <clears throat> Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you checked me out closely today, you, you noticed perhaps that I wear a gold ring on my left hand. And of course, that signifies that I'm married, very married. <laughs> Almost 53 years to a lovely lady named Gloria. Some of my friends say to me, half in jest, Bill, you really outmarried yourself. How in the world did you persuade her to marry you? And the obvious answer is, I'm good in sales. <laughs> I talked her into it. The ring is a symbol of a lifetime covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. Similarly, we Christians have several symbols of our relationship with God. Two of these are baptism and Holy Communion. We call them sacraments. And the word sacrament comes from a root word meaning sacred. Uh, these symbols, Holy Communion and baptism, were instituted by Jesus Christ. And they are something really special in our life with God, our growth as Christians. Baptism and Holy Communion are time-honored, reliable 
ways of receiving the spiritual medicine that we so desperately need. And today my focus is on baptism. Now it thrills the hearts of my dear Baptist friends to know that the word baptize comes literally from a Greek word which means to dip, to plunge, or to dunk. Not a basketball now, but a person underneath the water. Yes, that's correct. And in New Testament times, uh, most people being baptized were adults, and the common mode of baptism was certainly immersion, going under the water, for example, in the Jordan River. We Methodists use three modes of baptism. One of them is immersion, and I've done a lot of those in my day. A second mode of baptism is called pouring the baptismal candidate just leans over the baptismal font and the clergy person pours about a, a glass of water over their head. In my years, I've never had anyone request this mode of baptism. Of course, the most common method, the most common is sprinkling, just putting a little bit of water on the head of the person to be baptized. Sprinkling is a relatively new mode of baptism. Uh, indeed, when our Methodist founder, John Wesley, first came to America as a missionary to Georgia, he, he practiced baptism only by immersion. Didn't matter how old they were, even babies, yes. And the mothers of Georgia got angry with John Wesley. They resented bringing their two-week-old babies to him to have them put underwater. They wanted them baptized but not drowned. And later, 1738, when John Wesley was fully converted, he changed his mind about immersing babies. He recommended then sprinkling as the proper mode. And gradually through the years, uh, Methodists began not only to sprinkle babies, but that became the more common mode of baptism really for all ages. Most Methodists are baptized as infants or young children. And before the COVID-19 plague came along, we were baptizing a whole lot of them here at this altar. Uh, because one of the ways in which Mount Horeb is very biblical is you believe in being fruitful and multiplying. And that is wonderful. That's a biblical trait. I'm so proud of you. And uh, this church just... Uh, is thrilled that we have so many babies and young children. Infant baptism celebrates the fact that God is reaching out to a child even before that child knows who God is. Baptizing a baby means that parents and church are offering God easy access to this child, special access. And it also means that we're claiming this child, staking a claim before he even knows it on behalf of Christ and his church. And just about a month ago, we baptized four beautiful little babies here at this altar. And those four became just as much a part of the Mount Horeb family as a senior citizen who's been here 75 years. Because you see, baptism is never a solitary matter. It's always a church family event. 
Therefore, it is normally conducted in a congregational setting. Years ago, when I was pastor in Columbia, I got a phone call from a woman in Nashville, and she told me that she had been baptized in our church in Columbia and reared there as a child. Later, she and her husband moved to Nashville, and uh, now they had a new baby, and they wanted the baby baptized back in the Columbia church where she had been baptized. And I told her, I said, we will be delighted to do that, but you must give me the name and address of your church in Nashville so that I can commend this child to their care. Well, she said, we don't have a church here. We've been visiting around, but we haven't joined one yet. I said, dear heart, do it quickly. Make your decision quickly because baptizing requires that a local church take responsibility for the care and the ministry of this child. Uh, when one is baptized, one always becomes part of a local congregation. Now, occasionally one of my Baptist friends will ask me, Bill, are you sure that it's biblical to baptize an infant? And I say, yes, yes, it is, because we have at least three examples in the New Testament of someone, the Bible says, was baptized and his entire household was baptized. And we got to assume that they had a, some young children. Furthermore, we know for a historical fact that two of the most prominent bishops in the early church, Polycarp and Origen, practiced infant baptism. Infant baptism does not mean that baptized children are saved and unbaptized are not. No. All children below the age of discretion are citizens of heaven. And the same goes for people who are not mentally competent. Uh, a former Alabama football coach has a son who has Down syndrome and is severely handicapped. Talking about his son, the coach said this, my son has something that lots of so-called normal people don't have, a one-way ticket to heaven. If a child dies, he goes straight to heaven. And that means that heaven is loaded with kids. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I mean, every child who dies goes straight to heaven. And that includes unborn babies. Heaven must ring with the laughter of children. Infant baptism is a sacrament, but it's an unfinished one. It looks forward to the time when the young child will be old enough to take his own vows of faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, he will be endorsing the claim that we made on his behalf when he was a baby. And then baptism will be complete. As an example, let me compare infant baptism to a check one might write. The baptismal check offers glorious promises, pro glorious. It promises forgiveness of sin, a place in heaven, a membership in the church family, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in order for the check to be good, it requires only one endorsing signature. And our Lord Jesus provided that when he died on the cross 
and arose on Easter morning. Now, later, when that child becomes a teenager or adult, that baptismal check requires two signatures. The first one already provided by Jesus Christ. The second is by the person himself. He endorses his own baptismal check when he repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And then baptism is gloriously complete. As beautiful and as proper as infant baptism is, there's a problem with it. And the problem is that most of us cannot remember our baptism, of course. We were too young. Therefore, we tend to lose touch with our baptism. In fact, I talk with some folks who are embarrassed to tell me they don't know whether they were baptized or not. Now, back in the first century, when Christianity was brand new, baptism was electric with power, dynamic with power. At that time, the mode of baptism was almost universally by immersion. And most of the people being baptized were adults coming straight out of paganism. St. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, described baptism in these most graphic terms. Having been buried with him, Christ, in baptism, and raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. You see, as the baptismal waters closed over the head of that person, he understood himself to be dying with Christ, even as Christ died for him on the cross. And then when he came up out of the water, he sensed that he was brand new, a new creature in Christ. Therefore, his baptism day became more important than his birthday or even his wedding day. He took literally these words of St. Paul, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Folks, in our day, and especially we Methodists, we desperately need to recover the truth of baptism. God can continue to use this sacrament in powerful ways. And so I want to suggest several ways that we can restore baptism to its proper place of prominence. First, I want to say a word to the majority of us who cannot remember our baptism because we were baptized when we were infants or young children. Even though we can't remember it, we should understand it correctly and value it enormously. Just think now, when you were tiny and helpless, unable to do anything for yourself, there were some people who loved you so much that they brought you to the altar of the church and staked a claim on you on behalf of Christ and his church. What more loving thing could any people do for you than they did? And so I want us to treasure that even though we can't remember it. Just know that some people loved you so much they did that. The great reformer, Martin Luther, had a daily habit that he commended to his followers. Every day when he first woke up, the very first thing he did was to put his hand on his head and say out loud, I am baptized. 
Now, a lot of us put our heads, hands on our head first thing, wake up. But we say something, oh my goodness, is it that time already? But Martin Luther started every day by remembering his real identity. He thought to himself as he put his hand on his head, I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a child of God. If you have a young child in your family who has not been baptized, take care of that right away. Get in touch with the church. One of our pastors asked that that child be baptized because through baptism, you stake a claim on that child on behalf of Christ and his church. And you invite the Holy Spirit to work with you in leading that child to Christ. And also you officially enter the child in the family of God, the church. And I promise you in later years, that child, even though he or she may not remember the baptism, they will thank you for placing them in the bullseye of God's grace. Now let me say a word to the people who are, let's say 10 years or old or older, who have not been baptized or don't know for sure whether they were baptized or not. Get in touch with one of our pastors who can help you understand, answer any questions you have about baptism and ask them to arrange your baptism. You are not saved by being baptized. You are saved by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But having been saved, the next proper step is to be baptized. By being baptized, you go public for Jesus Christ. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, he used to say that if you have become a Christian, your family ought to know it. Your neighbors ought to know it. Your work associates ought to know it. And even your dog or cat ought to be happy that you've become a Christian. Why would you, let's suppose you're an adult and you don't know whether you were baptized or not or you know you haven't been. Why would you choose to be baptized now? I want to offer three quick reasons. First, first reason to be baptized because the Bible instructs us to do so. St. Peter gave this challenge to the people of Jerusalem. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The second reason to be baptized, it opens our lives further to the Holy Spirit. Listen again to Simon Peter in his word to the people of Jerusalem. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Third reason to be baptized, it's the doorway into the church, which is, despite all its imperfections, it is the body of Christ. We were meant to live in Christian community. And baptism is that invisible mark on you that signifies that you are part of the body of Christ, the church. In fact, when we're baptized, we get a new ID card. No, it doesn't change our old names. First name is still Bob or Sue or James or Tommy. Our last name is still the same, Jones, Smith, Rogers, whatever. But our most important adjective 
has changed. It is no longer middle class or educated or even American. The most important adjective describing a baptized person is Christian. Christian. When I was pastor in Memphis, a little nine-year-old girl, Sarah, uh, came to see me with her family. She wanted to be baptized. And uh, I explained to her, I said, Sarah, uh, when a person repents of sin and has faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and is baptized, you are totally changed. You become a new person. I asked her, do you understand that? Yes, sir. And then she answered all of my questions correctly. And then she told me that she wanted to be baptized by immersion. She wanted to go under the water. And her parents agreed. So I borrowed a local Baptist church baptistry one Sunday afternoon. Sarah and all her family were there. And uh, I gently pushed her beneath the water and then lifted her out. As I said the words of the liturgy, she came up sputtering and very happy. Her mother wrapped a towel around her to take her to the dressing room area. And right at that moment, she looked up at her mom and said, Mom, I'm brand new. And I saw her mother's eyes filled with tears. You remember back before the COVID-19 thing hit, uh, we would sometimes go to these large amusement parks like Carowinds or Six Flags over Georgia. And you remember that when you paid the admission price, they stamped your hand. It was almost an invisible mark. Couldn't see much. But later in the day, if you needed to leave the park for a while, you could do so. And then when you came back, all you had to do was run your hand beneath a light and it would reveal that mark indicating that your admission had been paid. Similarly, Jesus paid our admission to the kingdom of God when he died on a cross and rose on Easter morning. And when we accept his gracious offer and are baptized, the mark of Christ is on us. The mark of Christ is on us. As St. Paul taught us, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. You are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Sisters and brothers, as baptized Christians, we may not look different. We, not, we may not be prettier or more handsome. We may not be more cultivated or sophisticated. But brothers and sisters, we are different, gloriously different. The mark of Christ is on us signifying that we are forgiven sinners. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. 
We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for baptism through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, as baptized Christians, we are supposed to be different from the world. Oh God, but we are part of the world too. Today we are part of a divided nation. Partisan anger is threatening the ties that bind us within this great republic. Forgive us when we are more a part of the problem than the solution. When you saved us, you called us to a ministry of reconciliation. That task is hard for us today. We need your help. Soften our hearts. Help us forgive those who have wronged us or our nation. Restrain us from judging those whose dream for America is different from ours. Make our loyalty to your kingdom greater than our alignment with red or blue America. Bless our president and our president-elect. In the name of that one who is superior to all presidents, premiers, and popes, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.